0: Okay, Beruchim Abayim, welcome everyone. We are continuing our study of Simha. We are in class number 77. I'd like to share with you a Gemara that, you know, it's always enlightening when you see something new. But I feel like this Gemara needs to be the first lesson that we teach every bar mitzvah boy or bat mitzvah girl and it's not necessarily because I think so I think the the Gemara actually says it the Gemara's discussion in Masechet Hulin is what is the reason that Hashem chose our people. Now that's a pretty important question, because we live our lives quite differently than everybody else. We have more obligations. There's much more demand of us than the regular person in the street. Our lives are so different in so many ways. But we all look the same. At the end of the day, all humans have legs and eyes and a mouth and have similar lifestyles. We have to eat, we have to drink, we have to sleep. We have to work, we need money. We get married, we have children. So essentially, when you look at a Jew and you ask your child to act differently than the person next door, the obvious question is, why? Why am I different than that person? Why can't I eat what they eat? Why can't I wear what they wear? Why can't I do this on Shabbat? And obviously many more questions like that. So I don't know if there's a more fundamental question than answering your son or daughter when they ask you, why are we different? Why must we do more? Why isn't what's being done out there enough. Now these questions, I don't think they're questions that we're going to awaken as if they weren't there. I think most normal people, whether they'll admit it, or whether it's conscious or subconscious, it's there. Especially when things get a little complicated or things get a little challenging the natural question that people might ask is, why am I doing this? Why am I different? So the Gemara says in Masechet Hulin, quoting a pasuk, where Hashem tells the Jewish nation in the Torah the following words. Lo merubehem mikol ha'amim Hashak adonai bachem har bachem Simply translated the words mean it's not because you're so many compared to the other nations that Hashem loved you loved doesn't mean he loved us because he decided based on a lottery to love us Meaning he saw something in us to love us. Why did I love you? Why did I choose you to be elevated, to have a higher responsibility, to do, to do more in your life, to accomplish more in your life, to live on a much higher level than everybody else? Why? So he says, first let me tell you why not. Don't think it's because of the numbers, because you're so many. Ki Because you are, compared to the other nations, you're actually not that many. Compared to other nations, the Jewish nation has always been from the minority when it comes to numbers. We've never been a large nation in comparison to the nations of the world. So Hashem says, don't think that I chose you because you're so many. Because in reality, you're not that many. Now in truth, that's a silly pasuk. Because we know that we're not that many. So why would Hashem have to say, don't think I chose you because you're so many? That makes sense. If we were so many, Hashem would say, don't think I chose you because you're so many. It's for another reason. But if if we're not so many, does God have to tell us, that's not why I chose you? Isn't that obvious? We're not many. That's why He didn't chose us for that reason. So why would even Hashem discuss that? it's not even a thought, it's not reality so therefore the Gemara says the Pasuk is deeper than that when it talks about Meru it's not talking about the quantity of Jews Meru it's talking about the qualities your great talent your great wisdom Hashem says, I know you, am Yisrael, has a lot of gifts and talents, intellectually and more, as has been proven throughout history. Although we may not be a lot in number, but we certainly account for many, if not the majority of accomplishments that are real accomplishments in the history of the world. So one would say, why are we different? Why are we special? Because we're very blessed. We have, given, we have been given more tools than everybody else. So that's why Hashem says, I love you. Hashem says, wrong, mistake. It's not because you're so smart. And it's not because you're so talented. It's true, you are. But that's not why I chose you. What does the word Me'at mean? According to this new explanation. Me'at means, says the Gemara, that in our DNA, we have something that was handed to us from our forefathers Something they earned with their free choice wasn't given to them. And because of a certain lineage, Abraham, Yitzhak, Yaakov, they developed a DNA in a Yehudi that's called Ham'at. What is the Ham'at DNA? What is that? Hashem says, Ki atem ham'at. Oh, you're special because you have the DNA gene called ham'at. What is that? So the Gemana says, let me give you a few examples. Gemana says that Hashem says to us, Whenever I give greatness to your people, They actually feel smaller. Example, the Gemara says Avraham Avinu was living in the time of the destruction of Sedom. Hashem decided, as the Torah says, Hashem decided we need to destroy this city. That's not for today's class why. So Hashem already decided. That means he took everything into account. He knows what he's doing. With all of his compassion and kindness and whatever it is that he has, he came to a conclusion, this city no longer is worthwhile to have in this world. It's not good for the world. It's not good for them. But yet before he takes action. The Torah says, Abraham says, I can't do this. I can't destroy this city without consulting with my friend Abraham. How can I take such action without talking to him? Ham ani anime Abraham. Am I going to cover such an action from Abraham? You know when you say that in life? When you're doing something and you're not going to tell your spouse? How could you do this without telling your spouse? I mean, you're free to do it, and maybe you're going to do it anyway. But there are certain things in life that you must share with people that are very close to you. So Hashem says, how can I not share this with Avraham? And then he goes on to explain why Avraham is so special. He's going to be the blessing of the entire world. He's going to have great children and on and on. Why he's such a special person. I can't not tell him. So in fact, Hashem dials him up and says, Avraham, I want to share with you what I'm going to do. Now, I'm not sure what you and I would do if we got such a call. You know, people, if they get honor amongst their friends, they only have 10 friends. And if for some reason, out of the 10, they get the call for a certain honor, like, where do you want to eat? Whatever you want, we'll go. Oh, wow. They feel special. Out of all the 10? I'm the one deciding. Wow. There are people who become the president of a shul of 30 members. And they feel very proud. There are rabbis that are shul, that are a rabbi of a shul of 100 people. And they feel very special. I come in and I tell people what I think. They listen to me. There are people who are proud to have the number of the president's old friend that could get in touch with the president if they need it. It's on their phone. They feel very special. They'll never make the phone call even, but they feel very special. I'm connected. Look how I'm connected to could you imagine that out of billions of people I don't know how many were alive at the time millions, I have no idea but this never even happened in the history of the world that before the creator is going to do something he called you to see what you think so tell me, what do you think Abraham wanted to discuss it with you Do you have any idea what that feels like? That the creator of the world is calling you to discuss, to share, for advice? I don't know if that's the right word. I bet we would feel on top of the world. We would feel so elevated and rightfully so. This is not a fake honor, this is an honor that comes from the creator of the world out of all of humanity, he chose only one person to speak to, and that was you. And yet the Gemara says that when this honor came to Abraham Avinu in that conversation, he tells Hashem, I feel like a piece of dirt. The afar. He says, "I feel like dirt and ashes. There's not much lower than dirt and ashes." How does that make sense? What do you, what do you mean? This is the highest achievement that a human could even conceive of that God would choose him from the entire planet to discuss his plans. And you feel like a piece of dirt? Sounds like, from the Gemara, that before this meeting, Hashem, Abraham didn't feel like a piece of dirt. Seems like before this discussion, he felt maybe a little bit more than that. But now that you spoke to me like this, I feel like Afarva Efer. Hamat. merubehem. I give you something great and you feel smaller. And the Gemara gives another example of people in our history that acted similarly. It talks about Moshe and Aharon. Moshe, the greatest man that ever lived. Aharon, the Kohen Gadol. The highest spiritual seat in Judaism. They led the Jewish people, miracles, the man they're bringing down. They're giving them all types of things. Moshe Rabbeinu goes to Har Sinai, gets the Torah. He's fighting with angels, and their reaction to this greatness is, ma. We feel like a no, like a like a nothing. Ma means I don't even know how to describe. It's I'm not even sure if it's dirt. I don't know what it is. Naḥnu ma? What are we? We feel unaccomplished when someone tells you I feel like a nothing it means I don't I don't feel I'm accomplishing anything I feel like I don't do anything who said this? Moshe and Aharon and then the Gemara brings also David Amelech. David Melech Israel is there a person that we read more of his words than David Amelech? Our entire tefillah primarily comes from David HaMelech. Tehilim, David HaMelech. There isn't a class probably that someone gives that doesn't mention in one way or another David HaMelech, either through his experiences or through Tehillim or through his stories. David HaMelech says in Tehilim, veanuchi tolaat velo ish. He's, I feel like a worm and not a human. You know how accomplished a worm is? You know how many kindnesses a worm does in their life? You know how much Torah a worm learns? You know how many beautiful acts that a worm does? Probably you don't, because they don't do those things. Says David Amelech. Melech, I feel like a worm and not a human. I feel like I'm from the lowest of this nation. When you read this Gemara, you say they have to be kidding these people. Is this for real? Or were they just trying to fake it? was Abraham telling Hashem oh I feel like dirt like just to look like he feels like dirt so he feels humble in front of Hashem well you can't fake Hashem maybe you could tell a human you like dirt and that actually might register and they might believe you but you can't talk to God like that he knows right he sees right through you so when the Gemara reports this it's not about what they said That's what they felt. Abraham felt like a piece of dirt. Moshe and Aharon felt like they were nobodies. David felt like a worm. How could it be? The greatest people in our history, the most accomplished people on the planet, and they feel like nobodies. Says Hashem, that's why I picked you. Lomeru It's not the greatness of Avraham Avinu. It's not the greatness of Moshe. It's not the greatest of Aaron. It's not the greatness of David. It's not the greatness of any person. That's not why I love you. It's not because you accomplished so much. That's not why I love you. That would have been the logical answer. Hashem, why do you love Abraham? Oh, look what he's done! Look how much hesed he did! Look how many students he has! Look how many followers are are being led to Hashem, and more. How much? How come you love Moshe Rabenu? Moshe Rabenu, where would we be without Moshe Rabenu? He brought us the Torah. He fought for us. He and on, Hashem says, Don't think I love you or them. Because of their great accomplishments. Never think in our lives the natural thought that because we're doing so much, so therefore Hashem loves us so much and wants to be with us so much. (laughs) Ki atem ham'at you get the love and of course the siatah that comes with it when you feel like a nobody why would Avraham Avinu feel honestly like a nobody how do you and I feel like a nobody which person here could say I feel in my accomplishments, like dirt. Who, who could say that? Look at this now. We're sitting here, we're learning. How many mitzvot do we do every day? Maybe we're not perfect. But we do a lot in our lives. Who could say, we or nothing. How many times have you spoke to someone and they'll tell you how many things they've accomplished in their life? And I did this and I do that. Why is this even good to feel? What's so good about feeling like a nobody? By the way, the examples, these are not the only people in our history. Hashem is giving us a few, the Gemara is giving a few examples. And the examples they chose, each one is unique. Avraham had a lot to be proud of. He was the first. You know, when you're, when you're a pioneer, that in itself is something to be proud of. Everyone after you is following you, but you're the pioneer. You're the first. It's very special to be the first. Moshe Rabenu the greatest in Torah. There's no greater pride than the pride of wisdom. And Moshe Rabbeinu had more than anybody else. Another reason to be proud, to feel special, to feel accomplished. Aharon is the master of the Avodah, of the service of God. He's chosen by God to be the Kohen Gadol. When we do mitzvot and we do them in the most special way, we feel accomplished. David HaMelech, Malchut, power, wealth, definitely reason to feel like a somebody. So each one is a unique example that would make a person feel like they are somebody. But yet, Hashem says, I love them because they don't feel like a somebody. I think many people listening to this would say, that seems off. What about, like, self-esteem? Like, feeling good about yourself? Like, confidence? All the things that we've heard about. Isn't that important? How do you live your life successfully if you feel like a nobody. So let's try to explain what's going on here. When Abraham Avinu says, I feel like a piece of dirt. Let me explain to you what that means. Abraham Avinu was very well aware of his many accomplishments. And surely felt good about what he's accomplished. There's nothing wrong with that. It's actually a good thing. But when Hashem chose him, from all of humanity to speak to when he wanted to talk to someone, that was a very big statement. Basically, God was telling him that you are, in my eyes, the most important man on this planet. In my eyes, I look at you, top, When Abraham hears that Hashem thinks that he is more than any other human, he realizes, I'm not doing enough. I was doing enough thinking I was like everybody else, and I'm doing more. But when I became aware that I'm even more than what I thought, So, compared to what Hashem thinks of me, I'm not doing enough. I'll give you an example. A person who makes $100,000 a year and every year writes $10,000 out to charity, maybe even $20,000, because he heard giving 20% is even better. And he's writing out checks for 20000 every year and feels really good about that. I mean, he's giving 20% of his earnings. That's like two months of work that he pays his wages to somebody else. That's a lot. Working for two months with someone else. And then he finds out that in reality, he wasn't making 100,000. He couldn't read so well. He was making 100 million a year. You know what's 20,000 when you make 100 million? It's like dirt. But what do you mean? Yesterday, it wasn't dirt. Yesterday, 20,000 was awesome. It was two months of work yeah but today 20,000 means nothing you're supposed to be giving 20 million not 20,000 that's Avraham Avinu Avraham Avinu feels accomplished doing a lot of great things in his life but when Hashem appears to him It makes him realize he's not just a good man. He's not just a better man. He's not just a blessed man. He is the only one. Hashem speaks to you, consults with you. He doesn't do that with anyone else. You're a billionaire, Abraham. He says to Hashem, Today I feel like dirt. Because now I realize how much more I am. When I realize how much more I am and how much more I've been given, then I realize that what I do is not nearly what I should be doing. Compared to what this experience is giving me, I realize I need to do so much more. Hashem says to Am Israel, this is what makes you unique. We all have this DNA. That doesn't mean we're going to choose to use it. Just because you have a DNA somewhere doesn't mean it's automatic. But in every one of us, if you want to know what makes us unique, who would have thought this? But that's what Hazal telling you. The uniqueness of our people is that the more that is given to us, the hungrier we get. And we feel that we're not doing enough. Because we don't measure our greatness with what other people do. We measure our greatness with what we've been given. And the more we realize that we're given more, the more we feel unaccomplished compared to what we've been given. And this in reality is the midah of anava. We've been learning about the midah of humility. But humility is one of those midot that it's very hard for a person to assess if they really have it. We know that Ramban tells his son that this midah of humility is the most critical of all midot as we've been learning. But there's a little problem with anava. is that it's very hard to actually know if you have it. A person can actually, I believe, that most people, most of us, if we were asked, if we were humble, we would say yes. And if we didn't say yes, we would think yes. you, You think you're a humble person? I think so. I'm not perfect, I'm pretty humble. Humility is one of those midot that you never really can know if you are or not. Because thinking you are or saying you are doesn't really mean anything. You could be fooling yourself. A, you may not know what the word means. And even if you didn't know what the word means, not necessarily your opinion of yourself or my opinion of myself is really the, the emet. You see, in other midot, It's easier to know the truth. For example, if you say, You know, I'm a very patient person. But you can't say that if you get upset every other day. If you're always finding yourself getting angry, so you can't say, Yeah, I'm very patient, because your actions contradict your opinion of yourself. But humility is not like that. Humility is not an act, it's a feeling. So it's easy to say, I'm very humble. And there's nothing really in your life that might contradict that. Not so easy to say, oh look, I'm not humble because I did this. But today we're learning one of the great simanim. It's not the only siman. There are more simanim and hopefully we'll get to them. A siman means a sign. Sometimes it's a sign and sometimes it's also a cause, a siba. This is one of the signs of true humility. To say I'm humble doesn't mean anything. When you're put to this test and you react the way you react, then we will know. A siman of humility is that when Hashem blesses you more, when you have more money than somebody else, when you are more intelligent than other people, when Hashem puts you in a more beautiful family, so you can have more to achieve because you've been given more. Usually in this world, what happens when Hashem blesses somebody is that becomes a reason to promote themselves. Usually in this world when someone makes money, it becomes a reason for them to be arrogant and to promote themselves over others because I have more money than you so I don't have to be friendly with you anymore I could ignore you I could put you down I could talk any way I want to you because I have more money than you I'm better than you that could happen with money it could happen with wisdom it could even happen with Torah a young man or even an older person, a rabbi, could be so well-versed in Torah and wisdom that that could lead him to becoming a Baal Ga'avah. Because I am greater than you in Torah, therefore I have the right to look down at you like you're a nobody. I'm great, you're way below me like i don't talk to people like you i don't think of anything of anyone like you that you're you're nothing in my eyes you're like dirt in my eyes usually in this world the one that we're used to when people get more they start feeling that the people around them are like dirt it could be their students it could be their own spouse. It could be their children. Definitely could be their friends. Definitely could be their neighbors. In this world that we live in, the more you get, the more dirt you see around you. Because you start to elevate. The Gemara brings an example of how others not like us behave it brings an example of Par'oh. He was given tremendous power. Hashem blessed Par'oh with money, power, and more. And what does he say? Mi Hashem. Who's God? I don't know about God. He lifted himself to be even above God. Forget above people. Nebuchadnezzar, the Gemara says, Hashem gave him great power. You know what he said? Tell me if this doesn't sound like someone you might know. He says, Let me go up, says Nebuchadnezzar. What does he want to go up to? He says, I want to go up on a cloud. Basically, he wants to find a cloud. That he can go up on the cloud. (inaudible) So I no longer have to live with people. I want to live on a cloud way above everybody else. So I could be similar to the Almighty. That's a real feeling, a feeling that people have. When you've been blessed, suddenly the world around you starts to become more and more dirt and you start to rise on your own cloud and you keep getting higher and higher and higher and to some you even get higher than the creator of the world because you're so great you're so smart you're so rich you're so talented this is the pattern that we see around us in the world If it's little success, so your cloud goes a little high. If it's more success, it goes higher. Just the question of how successful you are. And you start to rise above everybody else. Whether you say it, sometimes people don't say it because it sounds ugly, but feeling it and doing things as a result of it is evident, it's clear. The way that person talks, the way they dress, the way they act. It's clear that they feel elevated above everybody else. That's the normal way of success. Hashem says, but you people are not normal. And it is this that I love about you. That when I make you rich, you feel small. When I make you more wise, you feel smaller. All of a sudden, you feel lower. And the people around you feel bigger. Could you imagine? Why would someone feel that way? Why would someone who's more blessed feel lower? You know, it would be, I think, in our minds, a great accomplishment if you were extra blessed that you don't go higher, you would think that's a great accomplishment. You know how sometimes you hear, oh, that person, he was so blessed, but he never changed. He kept his friends. He kept his way. He kept his values. I think we would look at that person, wow, it's beautiful. So to us, if you just don't elevate yourself above and you stayed the same, that would be a tremendous accomplishment. But we're learning here that no. You have to feel lower. When you're blessed, you have to feel lower. Why? A great example of this, to explain why, is Yaakov Avinu. A shalom, who obviously had the same DNA. As you know, Yaakov Abinu ran away from his brother, Isav. He lost all his money on the way. Wasn't married, had no children, was by him, a man by himself with no family and no money. And of course, you know the story. He went to Lava and he became a very wealthy man. He got married, he had many children, beautiful family. And many years later, as he's coming back, he's leaving Lavan, going back. He tells Hashem, as he was going, before he was about to face Aisav, he tells Hashem, katonti mikol hahasadim, Umi He says, I feel so small. I feel like a katan. I feel so small from all the kindness and all the great things. Asher Asita et Avdecha that you did with me. When I first came to pass this river, years ago, it was me and my stick. (laughs) Look what I have today. How many of us could look and say the same thing? I was a nobody, a little kid. And look what I have today. I have a family, I have friends, I have people in my life that I've affected. I have students. Look at this. Says Yaakov, look where I came from, and in 20 years' time, look where I am. That's beautiful. Everybody else could, could say the same thing. Many of us could say the same thing. But what is the word katonti? How does that come into the picture? The opposite, when you see yourself, were small, and today, look how big. You say, oh my goodness, look how big I got." I was a nobody before. And now, I'm a somebody. So Yaakov describes exactly the same thing I just described. But he says, I used to be a somebody, but now I feel like a nobody. What? Katonti. I feel so small today. You feel small today? What are you talking about? Is that, a, is that an error in the text? Katonti, you feel small? But there's that DNA again. The DNA of a great person that all of us have is that when you see the blessings that Hashem gave you, you start to realize you need to do more. And because you need to do more, you feel like what you're doing is not enough. Yaakov says to Hashem I used to do a lot of good but after all these blessings that you gave me I feel I need to do so much more I'm not doing enough could you imagine that attitude Hashem you gave me so much money I'm not doing enough you gave me a beautiful family I'm not doing enough You gave me hen, people like me. You gave me leadership, you gave me power. I'm not doing enough. It's complete opposite of what's done and even different than what we think is the right way. It's not enough to say, okay, I'm not gonna take the cloud up. It's not enough. You gotta take the escalator down. You gotta realize, That based on what you've been given, you're not doing enough. And if you want to say, I'm humble or not humble, you better look at this test. Look what you've been given in life, look what you've been blessed with in life. Are you doing enough according to your blessings? I think for many of us when we realize our blessings we will realize that there's so much more that we can do. Our satisfaction perhaps came from not realizing that we've been blessed more. That's a siman of anava. Hashem loves our people because of real anava. Not anava in word, not anava in thought, anava in action. This is called anava in action. Hashem gave me so much. I got to work much harder. I got to give so much more money. I have to teach so much more. When people come to listen to a class of a rabbi, and more people come to listen than less, that's not a reason to take a cloud up. That's a reason to work harder. Because if you've been blessed to have people listen to you, that means you need to work harder. You're not doing enough. What are you sitting on the cloud saying, wow, how great I am, Realize how much more you need to do. It's not enough. I don't know if there's a more beautiful example that I can give you that appears in halacha. than what I'm about to tell you. The Gemara says, the B'raita says that there are certain birachot in the Amidah, that it's not enough to say them or to concentrate during the Barakha, you have to bow down. You have to bend your knees and bow. I think all of us are familiar. The Barakha says, when, when should we bow down? And we say 19 berachot Where should we bow? So, the Barakha says, you bow in Avot, Asof, meaning the beginning of the first Beracha, as we know, and then by Magen Avraham, that's the end of the first Beracha, there's two bows. And then Behoda'ah, when we thank Hashem at the end of the Amida, Modim, that's the first, and then by the Beracha, Hatov, Shumcha, Ulcha, Na'el, that's the end of Modim. You bow down again. So how many times we bow down during the Amidah when we're talking to Hashem? Four. As we've this, we, this class is because of the Amidah. Because of the word Baruch, which means to humble yourself. So how many times do I have to bow extra? Four times. So everyone knows this. But you may not know the continuation of this baraita. Continues the Braita and says, Kohen Gadol. What if you're a Kohen Gadol? So what do you do in the Amidah? Says the Braita. it's not enough to bow down four times in the Amidah if you're the Kohen Gadol. What do you mean I'm the Kohen Gadol? Everyone's bowing to me. No, no, no. If you're a Kohen Gadol, says the Braita, you have to bow at the end of every beracha." Every single beracha, Baruch Ata Hashem, Honina da'at. Bow down. Baruch Ata Hashem, Rofeh Huleh Amo Bow down. But wait, everybody else is not bowing down. Could you imagine? You have a Bet Knesset full of a thousand people, and the Kohen Gadol, basically, his whole amida, is bowing down. Nobody else bows down like that. Nobody else humbles themselves like that. Oh, but you're the Kohen Gadol. But I thought that was a reason to be on top. Well, you could be on top, but exactly. Because you're on top. That's why you better go lower. And the B'rithah doesn't end there. The B'rithah says, melech. What if you're the king of Am Yisrael? Imagine. The position of a melech, of a king. You are the king of the Jewish people. There is nobody like you. In power, in leadership, in wealth. Tehilat kol beracha, ubracha. kol beracha, ubracha. Every beracha, the beginning and the end. The Kohen Gadol, only in the end of each beracha. But oh, you're the melech? Oh, whoa. You're even higher. Okay, so bow down twice in every beracha. When you start and when you end. What a halacha this is. Who would have ever imagined? That the higher the seat they give you, the lower you have to bend. You would think the higher you should uh, hold up the seat. If I were to ask a question of people, so, you know, the Melech and the Kohen Gadol bow differently than us. Could you tell me what you think is the difference? We bow four times. I bet people would say, okay, the Kohen Gadol probably only bows twice. And the Melech can't bow at all. He's the Melech. He can't bow, he's, he's the king. That's what people would say. But it's completely the opposite. Kiatem <inaudible> Hamat. Because that's the greatness of our people. The more, the lower you bend. The more you feel you need to do. By the way, this is what happened to us by Matan Torah. There's a Gemara that's cryptic, hard to understand. But I think today we could try to understand it. Not sure fully. But the Gemara talks about Matan Torah and talks about some of the things that happened during Matan Torah. So says Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Kol dibur ve dibur, Every word, or every statement—I'm not sure which one it means—that Hashem made, that Hashem spoke to the Jewish people, Hazru <inaudible> Yisrael The Jewish people of the time—they went backwards, like they almost got like thrown back. <inaudible> 12 mil, twelve mil. Distance, let's say 12 miles. The Jewish camp was a total of 12 meal. So basically, during the time they heard Hashem speak, the first statement, Anokhi Hashem Elokecha. 12 meal, everyone's back. Where's everybody? Gone. Until, says the Gemara, medadin otan. And the mal'achim came and walked them back. Slowly, medadin, step by step. Go back. And then Hashem spoke again. Again. Twelve meal. And then they came back. Now, what, what does that mean? But according to what we're saying today, it's exactly what a Jew is all about. The first time the Jewish people heard God talk to them. Not a messenger, not Moshe. God is talking to them. When in the history of the world did the creator of the world speak to an entire nation like he did in Harsinai? When did that ever happen? Never happened. So, of course, if we would be there, we'd say, wow, this is awesome. Can't believe this. You believe we're here? This is so special. We would feel great about ourselves. And again, we should. But what's the next thing that happens? Well, what happened by Matan Torah is they got thrown back 12 meals. Basically, it's a way of saying they felt like they didn't belong in this great nation. They felt out of the camp of the Jewish nation. Because if God's going to speak to us like this, we don't measure up. We're not doing enough based on this. We were doing enough yesterday But based on today's events, we're not even close. And they had to be walked back with the Malachim, meaning they had to start elevating themselves and start doing more and more and more based on their new level. They had to start now putting more effort. And then what happened when they finally got back? Another Dibur. Hashem spoke to you not once. He spoke twice to you. Spoke twice to you? Wow. They got thrown back again. And again, which basically the Gemara is saying in its beautiful way that this is really what life's all about. What life's all about is you realize you're not doing enough in your life. You could pray better, you give more charity, you could help more people, you could learn more, you could do more. The only one that's limiting you is you. So you start to go and go and go and you lift yourself and you become somebody and you're proud of it. And like I said, you should be. What will happen is Hashem will bless you when you get to a certain level of accomplishment. He'll give you a Now one might think the berakha is the berakha. One might say, oh wow, this is the reward. Oh, I was blessed. Look, I did so many great things the right way. For so long, and now God is looking at me and saying, Okay, here's all the money. Here's all the wisdom. Hashem is rewarding me with the Beracha of Osher and Torah and all the beautiful things in life. But we're learning here it's not like that. When Hashem sends you a new Beracha, it's in order to send you back 12 meals in order for you to realize, uh-oh, i got to do more. And then your job is to do more. And then you'll get to a certain point, and then you'll get another beracha. And then again, you'll feel, oh no, I, I'm going to go back 12 meal." And that's the pattern of life. It's not just by Matan Torah. It's the pattern of life that should be when we take advantage of that pattern. If when Hashem gives us the blessing, we become like Nebuchadnezzar and find the cloud to hover over everyone else, then that gift, that blessing that God gave us, turns to be a curse. It hurts us spiritually, and in the end, it will hurt us in this world. What a beautiful illustration Of our lives. We're supposed to be always going higher. There's no such thing as I'm doing enough. Higher and higher and higher. And at some point you'll see tremendous beracha. And a reminder that beracha is there to make you feel lower so that you can get higher. Not that you got lower in reality but you feel lower because now there's so much more. When you went from 20,000, to 20 million it's not like you lost the 20,000 but the 20,000 feels much lower today because there's so much more. That's what we say every week in Nishmat. In Nishmat Kol hai, there's a statement that we make. Koma the word tishtahave means to bow completely. The word koma means something that is elevated, come. Something that's large. Koma lefanecha tishtahave. Which means that the higher Hashem gives you, the more he gives you, the more you gotta bow down, as was mentioned. This, by the way, explains a gemara that the Mefarshim have a hard time with. The gemara says in Masakhir Nedarim that Hashem brings his shekhinah towards a person of the following. Means. I mean, when does Hashem decide to come close to a person? In our language, we call that siatah dishmaya. Hashem helps you. If Hashem helps you, you're good in anything. When do we get this siatah Dishmaya? The manas says, mashre shekhinato. It means he brings the shekhinah to be close to you. When does that happen? What, what are the rules? Of Hashem giving you His help in which of course everything in your life turns a whole different road. It's beautiful. We pray for Siat Adishmaya. Nothing better than that. So what do you have to have to have Siat Adishmaya? Says the Gemara you have to be a gibor. You got to be strong. You have to be Ashir. You have to be Wealthy. The you gotta be wise. The and you have to be humble. So wise, I think all of us oh, it makes sense. If you learn, Hashem wants to be close to you. Anav makes sense. But I bet the first two didn't ring so well, and he is. You have to be strong, I have to have muscles, I have to be a, a political leader. So that uh, Hashem can give me si'ata shmaya, I have to be wealthy? Ashir? Since when does God care about wealth? When did that become part of the formula of a person having Hashem help him? So the Mifarshim struggle with this Gemara. What does that mean? Isn't it spiritual accomplishments that elevate us and Hashem wants to be close to us? But according to what we're saying today, it may be a very simple answer to this Gemara. What this Gemara is saying is that Hashem will give you siyata deshmaya, will help you as long as you're doing your best to fulfill your potential. Hashem's going to help you when you help yourself. When you're fulfilling your own potential, just like somebody who comes to you for help, you're not helping him, If he's not trying to help himself. When you're fulfilling your own potential, Hashem will help you. How do you fulfill your potential? You know, today's class is about realizing how much more you need to do because you have so much more. But guess what? If you're not a person... Who appreciates the blessings if you're ignorant of the blessings that God gave you if you don't think you're wealthy, you think you're poor if you think you've been cheated in life and not given really anything special if you're not aware of the gifts that God gave you, even though He gave them to you, but if you're not aware of them well there's no way you can fulfill your potential Because the way it works is, according to today's class, is when you realize how blessed you are, oh, the family I come from, wow, I was blessed. Oh, wow, Hashem gave me so much. When you're a Ashir and you realize you're a Ashir, Ashir is not measured measured by Forbes. It's measured by how much God gave you. If you realize you're a Ashir and you realize you're a Gibor, That's the first step of greatness. Because it is then that you realize that you need to do more. Anav is the last of the four. The Ktaf Sofer says, this is a real sign of Anava. When you have and realize that you are a gibor, yes, you're a leader. People listen to you. You're a powerful person. For whatever reason, people listen to you. So you're blessed. If you don't know that blessing, it won't lead you to anava. you got to know you're a gibor. You have to know you're a ashir. You have to know you're a hacham. You have to know that you know more than others. You're blessed more than others. Because if you don't count your blessings, you can never feel as dirt as you should feel. Because when you're blessed more you feel that you need to do more in comparison to what you're doing now. So yes, you want siata, dishmaya, you want Hashem to be with you. Well, you got to live up to your potential. But you can't live up to your potential until you realize how gifted you are. Once that realization hits you, you realize how much more you should be doing. And that is the siman of anava. That is real humility. Not the fake one that you talk about. And not the one that you may think you have. But the one that's real, because your actions, in this area at least, speak louder than words and feelings. And guess what happens when you're anav, and you start to realize how blessed you are. Guess what happens to you? If you're a real Anav, so you know that all those blessings were a gift to you, you're not owed those blessings. You're not owed to be married. You're not owed to have children. You're not owed money. You're not owed health. You're not owed friends. You're not owed wisdom. You're not owed power. You're not owed anything. You're the one that owes. No one owes you. So when you have real anava and you start seeing how blessed you are, you realize the blessing is a gift. And then you start to ask wait, so why did Hashem give me the gift? He didn't give them that gift. I have something that they don't have. Why did I get it? Well, if I feel deserving, The conversation is over. In fact, sometimes we feel we deserve more. It's not even enough. I only got that. What are you talking about? But if you're a real humble person, meaning you understand where things come from, that's the beginning of humility. The beginning of humility is realizing that what you have is a gift. Appreciate it. Thank Hashem for it. Enjoy it. Don't take credit for it. Don't take pride. Don't say it's me. Enjoy it. Say thank you. When you have real anava, your reaction to blessings automatically is like the Kohen Gadol and the Melech. Wow, I got to bow my, in my modim. I got to go a little lower now. I just made some more money. I'm not bending low enough. That's what anav does. He realizes they're blessed. And it's a berakha that God gave them. But automatically, you start asking yourself, wait, so why did God give it to me? They don't have what I have. I walk in through the hospital, and a lot of people there don't have what I have. I check people's bank accounts. They don't all have what I have. I look at other communities around the world. They don't have the community that I have. I look at the rabbis around me. Not every shul or community has my rabbis. I've been blessed. Look at family that I have. Not everyone has my family. I start to wonder, so why? Why did God give it to me? Deservant I'm not. And not everyone got it. So why me? And then the obvious answer is that he gave it to you because you have a mission. He gave it to you because it's going to help you accomplish your mission. Just like a general gives bullets to soldiers who have guns. And he gives tanks to those who sit in them. And he gives airplanes to those in the Air Force. How come he gave him an airplane and him a gun and him a tank? Because that's what they're good at. That's their job. So if Hashem gave me this, this must be part of my job. If I grew up in this family so I understand better what life's all about, then it's my job. If I've been blessed That means it's my assignment. Hashem doesn't give blessings. He gives assignments. Blessings is when you live with your assignment. Blessings is what you make. It's not what God gives you. You could take an assignment and do it right, and that's called your blessing. But when God gives it to you, it's not your blessing. That's your assignment. Hopefully, you turn it into a blessing. That's up to you. Blessing and curse is in your hand, not his. You take your assignment and you use it, it's a blessing. You don't use your assignment the right way, it's a curse. So, uh, Anav, who knows God is the one who gave him and knows he's not deserving, automatically asks the obvious question Why'd I get it for then? Oh, I got it because it must be part of my mission. If a general gives a soldier a gun, he knows must be, that's his job. That's what the Mishlai Yasharim says. He says when someone is blessed with either chokhmah, wisdom, he's blessed with osher, asher, he says he should be happy with that gift, thankful. But he says, lehit will hit gaot, but don't use that as a podium, as a stage, to raise yourself above others. Oh no! Why not? Look what he says. He says rather if you have wisdom, who must be you have to teach people. And he brings a statement from Pirkei Avot. It says over there, Rabbi Yohanam Zakai says, Rabbi Yah mezakai, he says, Torah If you learned a lot of Torah, you had a good head, you had good rabbis, you had a good family, you had the ability, and God gave it to you. You learned a lot of Torah. Al tahzik Don't hold on to it. For yourself. Ramhal's learning, it means don't keep it just for you. If Hashem gave you the gift of wisdom, it must be you were formed and created for this mission. Why would he give you wisdom more than somebody else? Because that must be your job. Why did he give you power? Because it must be your job to lead people to the right place. Why did he give you more money? Not to walk around and show people how smart and rich you are. That's not why he gave you money. He didn't give you money to show it off. He gave you money because Because it's part of your mission. How are you going to use it? an unbelievable mindset. This is anava in action. Knowing that Hashem gave you what he gave you is anava in thought. I know many people could say, ah, ha, call me Shamayin. Many people say that. That's ah, all from Hashem. It's easy to have humility in thought. It's all from Hashem. But what we're talking today about is humility in action. It's translating that thought into reality. Hashem gave it to me, lekach no If He gave it to me, it's because it's part of my purpose and my creation. What a beautiful mindset. What a hiddush it is. For probably most people that hear this. I think we better understand now why Abraham felt like Afar efer. He felt a mission that was bigger than what he was accomplishing. And so to all the great people in history. We say on... Yom Kippur Vidui of Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon. Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon was one of the greatest Jews that ever lived, and certainly the greatest, if not one of the greatest, in his time. And he wrote a Vidui, a confession, for himself, I assume. And it became part of our prayers that when we make Vidui Yom Kippur, We use his words. So he says, I'm going to read just a small part of it. We read this every Kippur. Some people, I guess, don't understand it, I'm sure. Or some not pay attention to it. But if you understand it and pay attention to it, you realize there's something very wrong in these words. So basically, you stand in front of Hashem, and you say, Hashem, what can I say? He says, "N.B. I know about myself. She N.B. There isn't in me, lo Torah. I have no Torah in me. Ve-lo mitzvah. I have no mitzvot. Lo tzdaka. I have no charity in me. Charity? Give charity. Lo gimilut hasadim. I never help anybody." And then he ends off, lo asiti. I never did anything good. If I told you someone wrote this vidui, could you figure out who in history could have written such a vidui? That he has no Torah, no mitzvah, no tztaka, no chesed, and he never did anything good. So who would that be? Would you think Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon wrote this? How can he write this? What, is he lying to the creator of the world? Who here could write this? Who could say, me, I have no Torah. You have no Torah, I just want that class. You have no mitzvot? What are you talking about? I just saw yesterday doing a mitzvah. You didn't have fashat challah, no? That was you. There's mitzvah right there. You never gave charity. You never helped people. Who could say this? We can't say it. One of the greatest Jews that ever lived is saying it. What's it all about? But Baruch Hashem, after today's class, we have a little window in what He's saying. He's not saying He didn't do anything good. He's saying that how many Rabbeinu Nisim Ga'ons are there? How many people were blessed to be Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon? To have the upbringing that he had. To have the Torah that he had. To have the mind that he had. To have the seat that he had. The power that he had. How many people in the Jewish world in this time? There was one Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon. One. He says, where I am and what you gave me, I feel I don't have anything. That's Rabbeinu Nisim Gaon's version of Anokhi Afar Vaefer. I know I have a lot but you gave me so much more I know I give 20,000 but you gave me 100 million it's not enough of course it's natural you know there's a word that's used a few times in Tanakh to describe arrogance at its peak there's all levels of arrogance. Gaba. The words are, Ani. A person could reach a level where he feels Ani. Basically means, it's all about me. afsi od. The word fs means zero. Meaning, and there is zero besides me. You know who exists in this world? Me. Who else? Nobody else. Anyone really think that? Don't you see other people? Be blind? doesn't mean nobody else exists. But as far as I'm concerned, nobody else matters that they exist. They may exist, but it's only relevant if it has to do with me. If they're going to help me, if they're going to give me money, they're going to give me a job, if they're going to give me their daughter to marry, if they're going to give me some benefit today or sometime in the future, then they exist. Because... I get something from them. But if you could find me someone that I have zero, zero relevance to and is not going to give me anything, they don't exist. And we see it all the time, by the way. How often do you see someone who's walking down the aisle of a shul or down the street and they see somebody and somebody else? Both of them, perhaps distant friends or both maybe closer friends. One of them, they give the tightest hug since Lavan hugged Yaakov tight, tight, wow, love you, kiss you, can't believe you. Another person, hi. What just happened? Why that guy got the biggest hug and that person got barely a hello like you're annoyed to say hello to him. And unfortunately, most often, it's because that person, you need something from them. Either you need respect from them, money from them, Social status from them. You need something from them. So you give them a very tight hug. The other person, basically in your life, doesn't exist. Because it doesn't matter. Who cares who you are? Ani ve'afsi'od. Basically means, it's all about me. And you're only relevant if somehow I get something from you. Like I said, either today or maybe sometime in the future maybe when you pass away you'll put me on your will maybe that too it's also relevant that's a human reality that a person can reach in Ga'ava you keep elevating yourself that's where you can reach it's not my words the words of Tanakh but I'd like to tell you that I feel and I didn't see this in any book, that actually this is a spiritual reality that's within us to feel this way. When you feel like you're the only one, I feel it comes from a spiritual source. You know who else feels like he's the only one? You no know else? There is someone who feels like they're the only one. En od milvado, Hashem also feels like there's nobody but Him. En od milvado, He actually told us this in the Torah about Himself, and we are an image of God. So whatever God has, we also has, we also have. So if Hashem feel, if Hashem feels the reality of there's nobody, there's nobody but me. If we feel that way, then it's only befitting we're an image of God. We have kindness like God. We have emet like God. En od milvado, me too. Also en od milvadi. There's no one like me. And I'd like to suggest that that's not so bad. To feel that there's nobody like you? in odd milvado? I'd like to suggest it's not a bad thing. How could it be bad if it's godliness? But let's think where it turns for the bed. What does Hashem do when he looks at himself and says, There's no one like me? So what does he do with that? Is he waiting for people to come bow to him? To kiss up to him? To give him a comp? What does he do when he knows there's no one like him? You know what he does? He says, well, if there's no one like me, I got to create the world. Because if I don't create the world, who's going to create it? Only I could do that. Well, I got to give the world food. Because if I don't make food, who's going to make food for them? They can't make food. You can't make apples. You can't make wheat kernels. You can't make oranges. You can't make food. I cannot make food. Yes, we could plant it in the ground, the seed that we've been given, but I can't make food. Hashem says, "Well, all these people, they can't make food." So then, en od milvadi. So I gotta make food for them. Hashem's en od milvado. Turns into a responsibility because only you have this, so only you could do it. You have to do it. There's nothing wrong with feeling, wow, I've been gifted like nobody. And Od Milvado, in that area, there's no one like you. But what do you do with that? You're waiting for people to kiss your feet. Or are you ready to roll up your sleeves to work harder because there's no one like you. Because if you were given that job, nobody else could do it like you. Privileges were given to you. So you can take care of the people around you. And odd milvado is a beautiful thing to feel. If you turn it into what Hashem turns it into, and I will end by sharing with you a Mishnah and Perkei Avot. The Mishnah says, "Shemaya Omer," one of the great Tana'im says, "Ehob etam lacha." Love to work. Usna And hate the rabbinate. Could you imagine a statement made in Parkei Avot, in our holy books, that you should hate the rabbinate. Love to work, hate the rabbinate. What's interesting is a rabbi wrote this. Maybe he knows from experience. But how could this make sense? To hate the rabbinate, so who's going to be teaching our children? Could you close your eyes for a second and dream a very ugly dream of a community like ours that has not one rabbi? What would this community be without a rabbi? Imagine this community had no rabbis. There'd be nothing. There would not be a community. What do you mean you should hate rabbinates? So who's teaching your children? Who's giving halakhot? Who's inspiring people? Who's giving people advice? What does that mean, hate the rabbinate? It's the end of Judaism. How could he say that? Many people misunderstand this Mishnah. It doesn't make sense the way it reads. But let me tell you what the Mishnah means. The Mishnah means that in life... When you get a position of leadership, leadership could be in your home, leadership could be in your class, leadership could be in your synagogue, leadership could be rabbinical, could be lay leadership. When you're given a position of leadership, there's two parts to that position. There's the honor of people asking you, sir, what do you think? What's your opinion? What should we do? Honor, kavod, sometimes money. That's one part of leadership. And the other part of leadership is hard work. Got to work hard. Says the Mishnah when you're given a leadership role, love the work part. Love the part that brings you to sweat. Hate the rabbinical part of it. The rabbinate part of it. The honor part of it. That's not why you were given the rabanut. You weren't given the rabanut so people could kiss your hand. It may be important for them to kiss your hand so you could help them. You weren't a mother and father so your children could kiss your hand. They need to kiss your hand so you could help them. But that's not what you're in it for. Ehovah Tamlacha, love the work because you were given a responsibility. Don't pay attention to the other nonsense. The necessary nonsense. But don't take it too seriously The Rabbanut pot, it will bring you down. And look at the order. How do I do that? If you love work, if you work hard, then you're not going to care about the Rabbanut. But if you don't work too hard, you're going to sit back and wait for people to give you the respect and all the things that you feel are coming to a person of your stature. How many stories do we have in our history? that show clearly how great people, people much greater than me and you, fell because they missed today's class. The Miraglim were great people. Moshe chose the greatest people. But their greatness, instead of Ham'at, instead of saying, oh wow, I gotta do more, They said, oh, no, we're going to lose our jobs. How are we going to get respect in Eretz Yisrael? Korah, his greatness. I'll talk about how great this man was. If If Korah would walk in, we would be in awe of his greatness. Instead of loving the work and the responsibility, he says, wait, why don't I have that position? Why don't I have that power? How come only Moshe and Aharon get that? What about me? Instead of working and loving the work of what you're given, you're looking for a position and a title. He failed in that area. And so many others in history. Am ben Nevat. Am ben Nevat was the king of the Jewish nation that was chosen by God Himself. Imagine you were chosen by God To be the Melech, is there a bigger vote? And because of not listening to today's class, I'll write to you the ending of this man. When you read the Rambam in Al Chod Teshuvah, the Rambam writes that every person in life has a choice to be a Tzaddik, let nobody convince you that where you come from, you can't be tzaddik. Me, no, no. Tzaddikim, they grow up in Yerushalayim. They grow in Bnei Brak, maybe old-time Halab. Me, tzaddik, what does that have to do with me? Says the Rambam, don't let anyone convince you that you cannot be a tzaddik or that you cannot become a rasha. Says the Rambam, Allah, Call Adam. Listen to these words. Call Adam. Ra'uilo liot tzaddik ke Every person can become a tzaddik like Moshe Rabenu, or rasha, or you can become a rasha ke Yeruv'am ben Nevat. or you could be a rasha like Yerovam ben Nevat. Could you imagine that Yerovam ben Nevat made it to the example? Of a rasha. He's a man that God Himself chose to be the king of the Jewish people. He gave him a lot, but he didn't use the DNA of a Jew called Ham'at. And when he didn't use Ham'at, he lost it. Instead of saying, Ani afar let me work harder. Kavod and Rabbanut became his desire. And that's why it says by Korah. Korah, we know, went against Moshe Rabenu and went so far as to actually have a battle with him. A life and death battle. Hazal ask what got into this man? Korah. It's a big man. Pikeya Hayah. He was smart. Why would you battle Moshe Rabbeinu? You lost your mind. Listen to these words, famous words, Rashi brings on the Midrash. They say, Oh, I know hit ato. His eye mistaken him. His eye, I know he, he made a mistake because of his eye. Meaning he had his eyes on the wrong things. He wanted something that wasn't his, simply. But the question, obviously, is why it says, I know. As far as we know, Korah had two eyes. Why I know, his eye. His eyes, why his eye? I once saw a beautiful explanation that wraps, us this, wraps up this class beautifully that each person was given two eyes. One eye is to see the greatness of the Creator above Him. And one eye is to see how little they're doing to live up to the greatness that God gave them. So Korah, did he know that God gave him a lot? Yes. Did he know hakol miyashamayim? Yes. That eye that saw Hashem as the source of everything, that he had it. But the other eye, I know, hit atom. Instead of his other eye looking at himself like afar va'ifer, so I got to do more now. I know his eye, the second one, made a mistake. He ran after the rabbanut. He wanted the kavod and not to work. This is real anava, in action. Not a humility in thought or words. It's real. It's taking stock constantly of our blessings. Like I said in the middle of the class, if you don't feel blessed, you can never do this. If you feel like Hashem gave you nothing, so there's nowhere to start. But if you feel blessed, if you start to count your blessings, you can arrive at this beautiful midah, the midah that all of us were chosen for.